class today, we discussed a little bit about, really the whole time, about the way that we're to approach God in worship. What we're to be doing, what we're not to be doing. We looked at Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. It's a weighty thing to approach a holy God. And I found opening up God's holy word, seeing what it says, turning to his word for our direction in life, we can't go wrong with that. Preaching and teaching and seeing and singing the word of God, we can't go wrong with that. It's God's word for us, inspired for our good. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 9. In verses 35 through 38, and if you're able, would you stand with me now for the reading of God's word? Matthew 9 and verse 35, this is the word of the Lord. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Father, we all stand here before you in prayer, wanting to see what you have for us in your word, wanting as a church to be obedient to your direction to us, to open up your word because it is bread for us, it's food for us, it's needed for our sustenance. We look to you in your word because we know that we don't live on physical bread alone, but by every word from the scriptures. So would you feed us today? Would you direct us today? Would you move our hearts to care about the things that we just read, that we'd see it, that we'd be excited about it, that we'd be moved by you in your word? We say this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, have you ever had a work dream? I remember when waiting tables through college, I would often wake up in panic after a, what I'd call a food server's nightmare. In this particular dream, 10 tables were all sat in my section at once, and I'm just in the weeds, overwhelmed with more drinks to fill than I can keep up with, and more orders to put in that I could even dream to be able to get done all by myself. Or now, as a, as a pastor, uh, I can add the, the, the dream or that nightmare of stepping into the pulpit without anything to say, because I had just not yet prepared my heart and mind adequately. And so I, I, you know, in a dream like this, would be kind of on a boat without a paddle or in a pulpit without a sermon. 
I think of Jeremy Ripple, and a few months ago, he was on vacation and uh, had the week off from delivering mail. The only problem was, he reported that on his week off, in his dreams, he was delivering mail on his week off, of all things. Have you ever had a work dream like that? Think about my wife, Stacy, who sometimes it's hard to tell if this is the real deal or if this is a dream, okay? So, you know, this, this idea of a dream that one kid comes in and then another and then another and then another. That actually happens in real life, but I know she also, in the midst of having to deal with that sometimes, with for the last decade having little ones, um, she's had those dreams as well, endlessly thinking about all to be done. Sleep is just not happening at that point, of course. I'm sure we've all had vocational dreams or nightmares like that. Deadlines approaching, tasks piling up, more to do that can ever be done on your own, and that kind of pressure could sometimes give us one of those kind of dreams. But I want us this morning to imagine now the farmer's dream or nightmare. We have many farmers in our church, so hopefully you can vividly Picture this yourself. And I'm sorry to the farmers if this illustration in this sermon actually causes you said nightmares into the future. It's not my intent, but here goes. Let's say that you had yourself all the farmland here in Davies County. Every last bit of it was all yours. You had planted and done everything to guarantee a successful harvest. But when this prime harvest season was upon you, all of your employees just happened to quit on you. And pretty much everyone you knew who might be willing to help you out here had their time already accounted for. Imagine this. With bad weather on its way soon, and no one to help you bring in The harvest. Maybe we can add broken down combines and other equipment that's just incapacitated, causing a problem to be able to do the work that you had. All that good harvest just sitting there, waiting to be gathered, but either no one or far too few to be able to gather it. No one to do the harvesting of the harvest, all the corn or Soybeans or wheat just sitting there, ready, ready, primed to be harvested, but nobody there to do it. All that value, all that production wasted, just gone. So much potential to turn in a great investment in your work, but it's all for naught, right? If you, can't, if you don't have the farmers or the equipment to get it done. Talk about another work nightmare, Right? That would be a devastating situation. But this is exactly what our passage that we just read is all about. Another work nightmare. Only this time it's related to the issues of gospel farming. And this leads us now back to our text and to our first point in number one, to see lost and helpless sheep from Matthew 9 and verses 35 and 36. Let's see it. Again, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Want us to notice really quick that transitionary verse there in verse 35. It just, doesn't that just give a summary of all that we've been seeing already the last few chapters of Matthew? Healing, delivering, teaching. The only thing of, of note to kind of add on to that is that Jesus would actually, in addition to the mountainsides and fields, he'd also, and cities and things of that nature, he'd also go, went to the synagogues, which is where people would go to hear Bible teaching at the time. So even though we see Jesus kind of running into a bunch of religious people who oppose him, who are against him, he still went to their place of worship and instructed them and others alike. That kind of gives us the summary in 35 and then 36 before we get to the built-in farming illustration of this well-known passage that we read up front. Jesus starts here in verse 36 with an illustration of sheep and absent shepherds. And as Mark Dever put it, sheep are dumb, and they really need to be tended. Now, this is not meaning to be offensive As I know, of course, we all know that sheep are a metaphor for people at times in the scriptures. Even here in this passage, you see that people are in mind, right? He's not just talking about actual sheep. He's talking about people. Jesus sees the crowds, and what does he do? He likens them to sheep without a shepherd. The point is not that people are dumb or stupid, but that they need direction. They need shepherds to help lead and guide them. Without shepherds, sheep will be in big trouble as they could wander off, eat something that they shouldn't, and get themselves in situations where they they may even die without oversight. Not a really flattering picture, but the picture nonetheless that Jesus gives us as an illustration. People need shepherds Just like sheep needs shepherds. Lost people certainly need shepherds. But found people, Christians, believers alike, also need shepherds. Now, Jesus Christ is our chief shepherd. Amen? But he employs and he deploys even under shepherds to tend the flock or leaders throughout biblical histories. Had different leaders to help local churches and People and, and groups and er- you, you've had people that would function in that way. Why? Because people need direction. That's what we need. People need teachers and preachers and shepherds to help lead them in the way that they should go. But Jesus, you see, as we see here, he looked at the people. He looked at the crowds of all kinds of people around him. And what he saw, it drew him to deep Compassion and love for the lost and hurting and even downcast people. He saw sheep. What did he see? He saw sheep without a shepherd. And, and that what he saw, it moved him. As Michael Wilkins put it, the Greek verb means to be moved in the inward parts. 
which usually indicates deep feelings in the heart and affections. And Spurgeon, in his characteristic vividness, says that Jesus' whole nature was agitated with commiseration for the sufferers before him. Jesus, in a mere look at the crowds, was influenced to an almost kind of deep sadness mixed with a a pity for them. His heart was moved at what he saw. Pastor Alistair Begg said with his distinct Scottish accent, and no, I'm not going to try to pull that off this morning. He said he saw because he was looking. It is possible for us to walk around our lives without engaging people at all and not even looking at them, he said. Do you see hurting and lost people who are cast down and are harassed and helpless? Do you ever look at lost people with pity and sadness and compassion? Do you? Or do you spend your days playing armchair quarterback, watching the news about all the bad people out there who are going to hell in a handbasket in judgment. Jesus didn't look at all the lost and hurting and helpless people and get on his soapbox to gripe and moan about how bad culture was around him. No, he had compassion and he went to lost people like that. We saw that as he ate with sinners and tax collectors a few Weeks ago, he went to them. He cared for them. He had compassion about them. He had pity for them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And as Beg said, if you don't look, you won't ever see, and you won't ever have compassion. That is, if you don't look with the mind and eyes of Christ, the heart of Christ, you will just always have an us and them mentality, and never be moved to compassion for the crowds, to people who are lost. Do you have compassion for the lost, or pride and disdain? And note that a big part of their affliction was due to a lack of shepherds. You see that? Or even in light of bad Shepherds. In fact, in many places of the Old Testament, wicked and selfish shepherds or leaders are mentioned. I'm going to give us one as an example. Turn with me to Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 5, to see these bad shepherds. It says in verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled over them. 
So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. Now we've been seeing so far in this series the climate of religious leaders during the time of Jesus, even in these last few chapters, haven't we? The scribes and Pharisees doubting Jesus at every step, at every action, doubt, opposition, coming against him, getting mad at the Son of God himself, them getting mad with with him, even gossiping about the Messiah. Oh, did you see Jesus eating with sinners and those terrible tax collectors? What's up with that? Gossiping about the Savior. Jesus is going to lost and hurting people. He's being the opposite of these bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34. He's going to the lost. He's going to the stray. He's going to the injured. He's going to the weak. He's feeding the sheep. Just coming off the Sermon on the Mount. One of the best sermons that was ever preached by Jesus. He's feeding the sheep. And we see other places in his ministry. He actually does miracles of feeding people physically. Jesus does the opposite of these bad leaders. We saw that right here in the context of Matthew 8 and 9, the last month. That is the obstacle, you see, Jesus was coming across at the time and seeing all around him. They're like sheep without a shepherd, or they're like sheep with bad shepherds, even. It's still an obstacle today. It is. Some pastors and teachers claim to care for the sheep, but they really only care about themselves, to get rich and famous and popular Their heart is not for the hurting sheep, but the heart is for themselves and their own reputation and esteem. It's only for them to make their name great, not Jesus' name great. They claim to speak for God, but yet, even in their teaching and through their teaching, they're actually leading their hearers astray with their falsehood and their bad teaching leading them to destruction. Oh, what a weighty thing it is to be in that situation. It's teachers, leaders, shepherds are held to a higher standard, and many are just like these bad leaders of the time that are here today. So so with this problem, what does Jesus propose as a solution to the lost and helpless sheep? This leads us to our Second point, to start seeing an answer to that. And point number two, plentiful harvest, limited laborers. Look with me now at Matthew 9 and verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. (laughs) This kind of brings us back to that nightmare here that we looked at in our introduction, that bad dream. Jesus is describing the sad situation he's looking at with his compassionate look, with his, his heart, with his eyes, with his pity, with his care. 
with that Savior gaze. He's looking at the crowds. And he looks at them and he sees not only lost sheep, but now switches the metaphor to farming, land. And he likens these lost people in the crowds, what? To a plentiful harvest. Even more than if you owned all the land in Davies County. And we can add all the land in Missouri and throughout the United States and the entire world. There's this plentiful harvest all around. God, you see, has done what was necessary in and through the Lord Jesus Christ to make this time of Jesus and even the time that we experience this very day after Jesus has come, not a time of barrenness, not a time of ruined and destroyed crops, but a time white for harvest. The fields are ripe, you see, ready and in peak condition to be harvested and gathered up. But there's a problem. We see that? There's a problem. The sheep don't have shepherds. And the primed for harvesting fields are missing this key ingredient. It's that farmer's nightmare, you see. Waking up in a cold sweat. More work than can ever be done. And not enough people to do it. Well, who are these missing laborers? And why are there so few? During Jesus' day, he said the laborers are few. The harvest outmatched the farmers, right? But who are these farmers? Well, of course, the disciples he was talking to would certainly be raised up and sent out, as we're going to see next week in the sending of the 12 apostles. But gospel farmers are really anyone who go out and who can go out into the harvest all around them or into the world all around them or even into our very community all around us to bring the good news of the gospel to who? Lost and hurting People, lost sheep, herding sheep. So if you're a Christian, that means that you are a gospel farmer. Make no mistake about it. And each believer, you see, is called not only to just hear the gospel and believe themselves when they're saved and to keep believing and loving and glorying in their Redeemer. I will glory in my Redeemer, as the song goes. We're going to continue to do that, but then... We're going to take the good news gospel to unbelievers all around us to the glory of God and to the good of peoples everywhere. That's true for every Christian. Certainly, preachers and teachers and missionaries and all kinds of church workers are in view here as well, but every believer is called to Great Commission gospel farming as well. Do you you realize that? Do we see that? It's not like only the leaders are called to share the good news gospel with the lost and the rest of the membership of the church is just kind of off the hook. That's that's not how Jesus envisioned it. It's not how he intended it. He calls 
all of those who are called by him to salvation to share the gospel message of hope with the people that they know and and happen to come across in their lives. Sure, of course, some are sent out, but those who stay where they just happen to be in local churches all over the world, they have a task to share the message as well. They are called to farm. They are called to labor. Are you part of the few laborers that are out there today? Do you contribute to gospel farming by sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial substitutionary death in our place? He was condemned. We should have been condemned, but he took our place as a, as a substitute, went to the cross and rose from the grave three days later, and this is a cleansing of all sinners who turn to him for salvation and help. Do you share this gospel with those around you? Are you one of these limited workers? Be honest about that. One of these harvest laborers, gospel farmers. Or do you just sit on the sidelines and expect everyone else to do this very important gospel work? And even point us back to our first point. It's only those who have gospel eyes and compassionate Christ-like, this, this Christ-like look out to those who are perishing that will ever get up off their seats to begin with. Your response to lost people around you, it reveals, you see, whether or not you are a laborer or gospel farmer in this gospel kingdom to begin with. If you don't have a heart for that, that reveals a lot about where you are at. But no matter how you slice it here, Jesus saw the lost and the great fields of the harvest and noted the lack of gospel farmers then. And we can also feel overwhelmed now with the great need and lack of Christian gospel farmers today as well, can't we? It can seem like there's just too many lost people around to keep up with, be overwhelmed. What do we do in light of this problem? It leads us to our third and final point to see the answer. And number three, pray for more gospel farmers. Look with me at verse 38 now for this. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, if a farmer wakes up and all of his workers call in sick for a month or a few months or all just quit on him, he might start recruiting and hiring farmhands to help him with his work or put up job postings all over the internet and all over the town and surrounding towns, networking with anyone and everyone who can get all hands on deck to gather the harvest before it's too late. That's what. That's what would happen in that situation. So, if we have been following now the progression of shepherdless sheep and a farmerless harvest, we might think that the first thing we are to do is simply recruit and get more gospel workers and kind of make it happen at all, at all cost. Get a sign-up sheet, get it going. Let's, that's first step. Just, we got to get, 
we got to get the farmers out there to gather the harvest. This is the urgent thing that we would think to be doing would just to be calling anyone and everyone we knew to to send them out to get the work done. But Jesus' solution, you see, it's different than that, isn't it? What does he say? What does he propose as the solution? He says, because we are in this dire situation with many lost people all around us, we must get first things first and go to the sovereign Lord who is over the harvest to go to God, to address him in desperate prayer because he is the one who calls the shots. He is the one who gets it done. And without him, nothing will happen. Do you believe that nothing will happen in ministry of any good Without God at work, gospel farming will be futile. The ground will be hard. The crop will spoil. The harvest will be nowhere to be found without the Lord of the harvest. Do you see that? You see what Jesus is pointing us to? It's so important for us to realize as Christians and as members of this church, for those of us who partner together for the Great Commission here, working out through First Baptist Church of Gallatin, Our inclination as a church should not be to just do the ministry for ministry's sake alone and in our own kind of will take the bull by the horns and just get it done. That is not how we should approach gospel ministry at all. We must submit ourselves to the great God and Father of the harvest and pray earnestly because he's the one who fuels it all. Do you see that? Do you feel that? And in each and every one of the committees, in each and every one of our ministries, in everything that we do, do we feel our need and desperation for the Lord of the harvest to work or else it's all for naught? It's all worthless, waste of time. He fuels it all. It's important for us to see here. Now, we might be tempted to think at this point that it would all go a lot smoother. <laughs> If God just did everything himself, right? He's sovereign and powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-wise. Why doesn't he just do it all? He'd do it a lot better than any of us, right? I mean, he's perfect. We're not. We're fallen. He's infinite. We're finite. It'd be tempting to think, oh, okay. The answer is just to let God do it all. Well, though... We go to him in prayer. We realize from this very text and other places that we must pray to him, not just that he would do it all himself, but that he would empower and send gospel farmers out into his harvest. Do you see that connection? He rules and is Lord and Savior over the whole world, which means that he's sovereign over the work of the kingdom. We need to go to him. Gospel advancement doesn't happen without him. Gospel advancement throughout the world, gospel advancement here in Gallatin happens because of God's work. Make no mistake about it, 
God is Lord of the harvest, meaning God is sovereign and in charge and plans the good gospel ministry here in Gallatin and all over the world. But notice here, please notice, he doesn't do all the gospel farming himself. He doesn't do it himself. He doesn't say, just pray to me and I'm going to just do all the gospel farming. What does he do? Rather, he deploys his gospel farmers or workers or laborers even in response to and in partnership with the prayer of his existing gospel farming saints who are praying to the God of the harvest to send out more gospel farmers. Do you see that connection from the text? Gospel farming is fueled by a God who is the Lord of the harvest. Fueled by the good news gospel and by our prayers to him. Tonight, during our evening prayer service, we will dedicate the majority of our praying and time pleading with God to send out more gospel farmers. Would you consider coming and praying to God with the church tonight for this very important need that we see clearly here in the text? And even right now, everyone who is here, I want every one of us to get these matters straight in our hearts and minds and be crying out to God regularly in prayer, even right now in your seats, for more and more laborers to go out into the harvest, which includes, of course, each and every Christian here in this room, here in this church, right now, in every seat. If you're a believer, this includes even you, even every last one of us. If you're a believer, it means you're a gospel farmer. And our prayer today are even that you might go to the lost sheep all around us in this community that God has sovereignly placed each of us in, in the families he's placed us in, in the classes at school that he's placed us in, on the teams that we're placed in, in the jobs that we're placed in. He's put us here for this gospel farming work for a reason that you might be and seek to be fishers of men, as we saw earlier in in the Gospel of Matthew, that you might be farmers of the crop, witnesses to the lost and hurting world, a city on the hill, salt and light to a dark world around us. Is that where your heart is at? Do you feel the desperation in all of this? The urgency. Do you plead to God in prayer? Are you willing to say, along with Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me? Or are you willing to feed the sheep like Peter or witness to the Gentiles like Paul or do the work of an evangelist like Timothy or be that kind of power couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and be a counselor sharing gospel realities to other people around them. Are you willing to be a gospel farmer? The Erdman's Bible commentary summed it up well. The crowds are harassed and helpless because they are badly led and in danger of being lost like an ungathered harvest. Only Jesus' compassion for them And the advent of new workers sent by God will result in their being gathered and preserved. If you're a Christian, that means that you're a gospel farmer who can be used to gather the wheat, harvest the corn and beans. By giving the gospel to gather in this plentiful harvest, all in response to the Lord of the 
harvest. Do you see the need for that? Do you have that compassionate look like Jesus? Do you pray for laborers? I really hope that we do, church. I hope that we do. But if you don't, or if you're struggling to care about the harvest because of distraction with other things and seem to have fading passion for the gospel and the gospel's work in your life, I want to leave us all with this very stirring illustration I read from Pastor John Piper about this urgency and reality of the lost all around us. He said, do you remember the last time you felt real strong pity? I remember visiting a missionary friend in Paris in 1978 whose little four-year-old daughter had pulled boiling cooking oil onto herself. She was isolated in a sterile room and naked, and for weeks her parents were only allowed to look at her through a window. I felt tremendous pity while watching her mother show her pictures through the window, and the tears rolled down her face. If the pain and oozing flesh wasn't bad enough, the separation was almost unbearable. And I have asked myself and tested myself, do I feel that pity for my unbelieving neighbors, colleagues, and classmates? Oh, there is our need. Our need is to feel compassion because of their need. Our need is to... Care and love like Jesus did. He was so much of a man for others. We need to be honest and admit that compassion does not come natural to us. It is a work of grace in our hearts and, for that reason, the product not of works but of prayer. He saw the crowns and had compassion for them. The best thing that we can do here in this bad dream nightmare of a situation of the plentiful, oh so plentiful harvest with so very few workers is like Piper said, not to look to our own works and our own doing, but first go to God in desperate prayer, which will then of course lead us and others to gospel farming for the glory of God and the good of all peoples. Let's close now in prayer, going to the Lord of the harvest, asking for more gospel farmers. Father, you are such a wonderful shepherd and heavenly father. You've given us what we don't deserve. You've opened up hearts and minds and eyes. You've moved and touched us in ways, those of us who are believers, to see the good news and to desire others to be saved. Would you increase every believer here In this room, would you increase their faith, their desperation, their heart for the lost? Would you give them compassion? Would you help them to have eyes like your son, Jesus Christ? Would you help them to have eyes of compassion and pity that would move them to actually do something for you? Lord, thank you for the faithful brothers and sisters here in this room who have gotten a glimpse of the gospel and have wanted to just pour out 
with truths of the gospel to everyone around them. Lord, would you just spur them on in those, that love and good deeds in gospel farming? And would you, would you motivate and, and, and push and encourage and show others here that, that may not have this on their radar? Would you just put it on their radar? Would you give them heart? Would you give them a mind? Would you give them eyes to see and care for these things, Lord? And even most importantly of all these things, we pray now to you, Lord, the Lord of the harvest. We ask, Lord, that you would, you would gather in the crop, that you would cause the conversion of many in this town, that you'd even bring revival amongst us because we're seeing unbelievers be saved all around us. Lord, we pray for the workers who are sent. We pray for every believer here. We pray that they'd be faithful to share the truth of the gospel. And we pray that people would be saved, that they would be gathered in, Lord, that they would not have the judgment coming upon them, but they'd have eternal life to look forward to because of your great work in and through their lives, through even this local church here in Gallatin. We ask for your help in these things because we know that we can't do it on our own. And we say all these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.